welcome to episode five of season four of the Waking Up to Money podcast. On this episode, Ben and I start a conversation around the challenges, pros, cons, benefits of hourly based pricing versus project based pricing versus value based pricing. Um, on this episode, we're going to focus very much on the time based or hourly based approach. Uh, and share our thoughts and ideas around that uh, and then over the next couple of episodes we're going to move towards this idea of value-based pricing which we are trying to get more and more people to do through our happy pricing course and through the podcasts that we're trying to share with you and we hope um, you'll come away from each of these episodes with a clearer idea of how to use each approach most effectively uh, and while some approaches we believe uh, will create more value for yourself and your customer um, in a more intentional way. We also admit the pragm- pragmatism around it all and how sometimes you need to, to do certain things depending on the situation. So anyway, I, we hope that you'll get some useful bits and pieces from here. If you have any questions for myself or Ben, please email me at carlos at happystartups.co. We'd love to answer your questions on the next episode of the podcast. Thank you very much and enjoy. We're waking up to money a little early. Which is no bad thing. Actually, I did contact somebody who's been watching this and asked whether they'd been uh, or or knew about this rather, knew about the fact that we do this every week uh, and said, have you managed to watch them? And he said, I tried to watch them, but you were always late starting. So I just watched it on YouTube. <laughs> uh, anyway. Cons- consistency thing, I hear. <laughs> consistently late. Consistently late, yes. We are, we are very poor constant, uh, content creators. I, I, was, I went out with my son for his birthday on Saturday Um and he bring two mates, uh, and they they're all into YouTube and stuff like that. And a couple of them got YouTube channels, um, and they started schooling me. Oh, nice! How to, how to how to get followers on YouTube? Apparently, it's the shorts, fifteen second things, fifteen Not second stick bits, huh? Not jeans. It's all about not shorts. jeans. It's all about shorts. It's all about the shorts. You know, you gotta have it. You gotta have it in your jeans to be able to create the shorts. Right. Okay. Nice. <laughs> right. Saying, fifteen second clips. 15 second clips. That's what it is. He got 50,000 viewers. He's wow. like a 12 year old kid. Yeah. 50,000 wow. viewers. And, and he started giving me tips. Maybe uh, they're and, more interesting than us. <laughs> not only that, he said, uh, Give me your channel. I'll follow you. It's like, What? <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to offer you. <laughs> Young Minecrafter on YouTube. How, how am I going to? I don't know. But anyway, it was fascinating. Twelve-year-old mm. YouTubers, yeah. Tried, and my son now wants to do it, and he's like, "Oh, I need to get a better computer." No, mm-hmm. use that one. Yeah, work as hard as you can to make that work, and then we'll think about. Yeah, when it's successful, you can thing. use the money to buy yourself a new computer. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> now that's a money story. <laughs> work that one out. Well, so. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, a shout out to Wolfgang, Sandy, Andy, Francis, Andrea, Shiyama, Sandra, Vittoria, and Paul. Uh, thank you all for for waking up to money. 
with us this morning. Um, really appreciate it. Um, how are you this morning, Ben? Uh, I'm good this morning. Um, again, another sunny morning uh, here, and so feeling quite energised, actually. The blue sky and sun is an energising start to wake have you up. Had, have you been for a swim? No, not this morning. Not this morning. Not this morning. Okay, cool. But it, now um, is the time. Now is the time to be in the water. Otherwise, you know, it's going to winter will run away with you. Uh, yeah, I, I, it does. It, I can imagine it being beautiful, but as well as fucking cold. Beautiful yeah, out there. <laughs> in the in the with the blue sky above you, swimming around. Um, for those of you watching, uh, please let us know how you are this morning. Um, I hope you're all well. Uh, I hope you have blue skies. Um, if not, I hope blue skies are on their way. Mm. Um, and for anybody watching on YouTube, send us an email. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, let us know what we're doing wrong so that we can boost up. Subscribe to the, the, where the, the, the subscribe to this channel thing. We'll work it out. We'll, we'll be, we will be YouTube famous. Um, as you can tell, I'm a bit hyper. I haven't had my coffee this morning, so I think it's weird. I think the coffee's needed to just regulate. But um, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, and for those of you who are watching live, I am going to paste a link into the chat for your later reading. Don't read it while you're listening to us, or else that'd be rude. Um, but this is what kind of inspired me. It's a bit, it's, it's three years old, but I think it's one of those perennial problems around. <clears throat> this real idea about value-based pricing and how that's, you know, that's the holy grail, you know, if you can do that. And we talk about that on the, on the uh, so heavy pricing course, you know, really focusing on, on thinking about value rather than selling your time, but it's not easy. Uh, and there are pros, I, the way I read this article, there are pros and cons to each approach. Um, and it's sometimes down to circumstance as well. And there's realities of how we, the industries we're working in and, and the kind of businesses we're running and, and the time we have and, and, you know, the level we're at in terms of how we're selling, how much we're selling our time for or our products for. So we're going to explore over the next three episodes, we're going to explore these three approaches. There's the hourly based pricing. Uh, project-based pricing, and then ultimately value-based pricing. Uh, and it was just going to be an exploratory discussion, maybe a bit of pros and cons of each one, uh, and then any questions that might arise from you. If you are you know, selling yourself by the hour or in terms of time-based approach, you know, any questions you have around that or maybe any reflections you have and the challenges around it or the benefits you found. It's like, yeah, I love it. This is the best, way, best thing for me. So we'd love to hear your comments on the chat. Um, so today we're going to be tackling this idea of just pricing by the hour, which I know from my time as an agency was, it felt like that was the standard way of doing things. Um, any initial thoughts or things you'd like to share, Ben, around this idea of hourly-based pricing? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. Thank you very much. Um, we've started on a little bit early and we're ending a little bit early. So I hope you found that very useful. See you next week. <laughs> that, that is the 15-second short. There we go. <laughs> well, um, initial, <laughs> initial, initial thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess one of the things that um, happens, of course, is we sort of default to what's easy, don't we? And... Um, you know, I think there's, there's a reason why pricing by the hour, irrespective of whether it kind of makes 
sort of good sense for you or not in time, there's a reason why it's the kind of dominant idea. Uh, and it's very well understood. Um, it's kind of well known. It's familiar. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of kind of working out on your part selling your things or on their part buying your things. And all of that, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the kind of the, the kind of the, the sort of the simplicity of that is obviously hugely appealing to people. Because I think one of the things obviously which happens whenever we're talking to anybody about the things that we provide, well, if you kind of think about it for the person on the other side of the table or the people on the other side of the table, whenever we buy anything, there is always uncertainty. There is always kind of ambiguity. Is this going to do the thing that I want it to do? And that ambiguity, that uncertainty, we don't like uncertainty, you know, that is kind of clear to us all. We don't like that. So we do whatever we can to remove uncertainty, to remove ambiguity. And, you know, and this thing around money and the thing around price is, of course, a whole extra bit of uh, ambigu amb ambiguity and uncertainty. And so I guess, you know, in that, you know, this sort of very kind of sort of simple but compelling way, actually hourly pricing removes a whole load of need for conversation a whole load of need for debate. And so, you know, being the kind of lazy, crazy, kind of uh, needy creatures that we are, where there's an opportunity to sort of short circuit through uncomfortableness, of course, we short circuit through uncomfortableness. And uh, pricing by the hour is a kind of fast track through that quagmire of misery. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with this idea of uh, kind of avoiding the uncertainty and discomfort of uncomfortable conversations, mm. um, which I think lends itself to uh, you know conversation we had last night where we we were doing a little uh, a webinar with uh, the Trend Atelier consultants uh, community, um, and it's about money stories. You know, I think you know the, our relationship to money is is one of the things that gets in the way from us having these more adult conversations around price and negotiating price um wolfgang says uh he goes by the hour is he's a consultant and he finds it annoying and unpredictable and Ooh. i think that's one of the challenges around uh hourly pricing is that on one hand from a customer's point of view and this is very simplistic it's not it's very it's not it's the opposite opposite of annoying convenient mm, very convenient because yeah. you can see okay uh I kind of pay for what I use. I'm mm -hmm. going to use Wolfgang for six hours. So I pay for six hours. And so for them, it is predictable. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I know exactly how much I'm spending. Yeah. From our, until, our perspective, as, sorry? I was going to say, until Wolfgang until... gets to hour seven. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's, I think that word, predictability and unpredictability are really core to this is that um as a supplier how how well or um how clear and certain are you about the amount of work required to make the outcome that has been expected mm -hmm. and um and so if you are you know i reckon if you are super clear and I'm not dissing anyone who works in McDonald's, but if you know how long it takes to put a bun, a burger, and a bun on top of each other, it's quite easy to kind of price that in terms of an hourly rate because then you just relate it to how many buns and burgers you can sell. And mm -hmm. so it's a simple thing. It's like, all right, I do this very predictable job, 
pay me by the hour and then you know exactly how much you know as a as a buyer you know how much you're going to spend in the future and as a seller you know how much profit you're going to make <coughs> feels like it is like from a an evolutionary psychology perspective it's uh, it's beautiful it runs away from any kind of scary uncertain places mm. um but like you said ben what happens when you get to hour seven <laughs> yeah 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 and so there's what happens when you get to hour seven when then all of a sudden the kind of the beauty and the wonder of the predictability is then replaced by uh you know new information changing scenario changing expectations and of course this is then also the stuff of failed client and customer relationships because what you know the client and the customer wants they want predictability they want to have the thing done that they want done they want to know what that thing is they want to know when it's going to be done and they just want it done they want you to do what you're, you say you're going to do and you know where there is then kind of changes to that ambiguity to that you know six hours work becomes seven hours work then you know there's the kind of danger of kind of breach of trust so what was simple and predictable at the outset becomes the thing which kind of undermines your undermines your relationship so you know like we say what what, what works for that reason actually becomes something which doesn't work um thereafter so yeah so and, uh, i was gonna say what it brings to mind is like it, it kind of kicks the can down the road again this mm. is a very, very specific context and i think you know uh, particularly people who are in the knowledge industry the service mm. industry where a certain level is an uncertainty of creativity around your work. You're, you're looking for creative, innovative solutions to maybe some, some problems that a client has. So uh, you front load the certainty. It's by the hour, pay me six hours. That's how I think, how much I think time I think is going to take. And actually it suits me because I don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation about price right now. Let's get it there to get it going. Then you get to hour seven and you realize, both of you realize, client and customer, that this is actually going to take longer you have to start having uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at some point, if you don't know, if you can't nail down 100% how long something's going to take you and that is going to guarantee an outcome for the client, you're going to have an uncomfortable conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just going to happen later. And, and, and later. you know, the other thing which uh, you referenced, uh, uh, the workshop we ran last night for the Trend Atelier community. And one of the things that they were talking about in the kind of lead up to that, was this kind of feeling of kind of being um, essentially not kind of charging enough uh, and feeling exploited in their work. So obviously now that talks to actually kind of ideas around money stories and feelings of worth and value and all of these things. But you also referenced, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the thing, the reality of a kind of knowledge worker. And I you know, imagine what is true for everybody, whether listening live now or listening on, you know, later on the, the YouTube channel, you know, these people are knowledge workers. So you know, when you're doing, you know, are you doing your work within the confines of that time? You know, like, oh, I said to you, I was working between two and three. Are you only working between two and three? Or are you working in all of the kind of gray in between areas when you're on your bike, when you're in the shower, when you are, you know, swimming in the sea, when you are kind of doing whatever it is you're doing? Of course, this is when our kind of thinking percolates. This is when our kind of value bubbles up and actually in a sense there's something a bit disingenuous about charging by the hour because you know what was convenient at the beginning but like you say is maybe just kind of kicking the can down the road of something an awkward conversation that happens later also you know in a sense it's a bit disingenuous because 
your thinking isn't confined to that hour. And so, you know, in a way, why why should you kind of charge for that? And, you know, and ultimately, of course, we can sort of come back to this, you know, a little bit of a, a, a kind of sort of seed thrown to kind of the future weeks as we're talking about this. Your clients and customers aren't buying your time. Uh, your clients and customers are buying something else, but it definitely is not your time. They actually <laughs> don't a toot about your time. They care about something which is changing for them. Uh, and ultimately, that's what they're buying. You know, we might kind of hide in the kind of warm glow of selling time, but they're not buying your time. Everybody knows that. That's not what actually they want. And on that, if they are buying your time, if they think they're buying your time, then they're going to find someone who's cheaper because <laughs> that's all mm. they're buying. They're going to find how much can I, how, what's the least amount that I can spend for an hour? Because that's mm -hmm. all you're, if you're not thinking about the outcomes, you're just thinking about someone's time. You're bound, your customers are bound to then think, okay, oh my God, that person can do it for 35 pounds an hour, not 50 pounds. And then there's somebody who can do 20. And then I go to Fiverr and I can get it for five pounds an hour. Mm. Yeah. And so yeah. that, you, you fall into that comparison. Yeah, the and and the the, the there's a kind of good point around that. the kind of the comparison, the commoditization, because of course the enemy of you um, kind of earning what you're worth essentially is this kind of feeling, the perception of commoditization that I can be swapped out for you, which of course I can be swapped out for you. But the kind of uh, the anybody kind of listening, the thing that I do, the service that I provide is just directly sort of transferable to 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 someone else uh, and you know when we do charge by the hour we are actually offering that up to the client that actually i am directly transferable uh, and the, you know because one of the other things that happens you know when we were talking about the ambiguity the uncertainty that happens in the kind of heart and mind of your customer you know they they are worried about uh, uncertainty they are worried about kind of ambiguity uh, mm -hmm. and so you know, there is always this kind of when they're buying something, you know, this kind of feeling that what you provide might not kind of work might mean that they had, you know, they want to kind of look to compare. And so the, the kind of task that we have is to is to control those comparisons, is to manage that process a little bit. And if we're sort of defaulting to a price by time, we're actually making it harder in a way for our clients to choose or we are actually compelling our clients to compare us to somebody else because we're not offering them up other choices to make. Yeah. And, and it makes me think of also this idea of the curse of knowledge. It's it's hard to not know or to remember what it was like to not know something. And as experts and professionals in the field, you you forget that sometimes your customers don't understand the intricacies of your work or the mm. true power of what you do and, and how that could really affect their business. Maybe they think they're just buying a, a logo or they're just buying a website or they're just buying a pretty bro brochure, but they forget actually, what does this actually mean for the business? And they, yeah. they, they need help connecting <coughs> this piece of work that you're doing to the outcome that they're looking for. And so I think there's an invitation here for all of us to become uh, better educators and storytellers about the journeys of our customers. And the, mm. and the things that they want to achieve in their businesses, rather than just talking about, oh, the fancy new technology, oh, the fancy new design approach. It's like, that's great to enlist a bit of trust. But I think when it comes to helping people understand value, 
I think you need to be able to really walk into the the shoes of your customers mm-hmm. and really understand their their hopes and dreams and goals and ambitions. And on that, I was going to answer a little bit to Victoria's question, and I think maybe we can finish off on this. She was talking about um, tips for people who just started to work in design business and as a consultant, what tools can I use to define the price per hour? And Sandy replied about kind of doing a calculation around all the unbillable hours and so like trying to factor that in in terms of when you're thinking about how much you price another thing which i feel is a is um a step back or a a bit deeper is and i think ben we talked about this yes it's just how much money do you want Mm. (laughs) honestly without trying to do too many calculations you know because it can get bogged you can get a bit bogged down when you're trying to calculate per hour per minute it's like how, you know, how much would a monthly salary, what kind of monthly salary would be agreeable to you right now? And maybe even in the future, because that's the other thing is like, what would you love to have? Because I think when you when you can start picturing what you would love to have, you have something to work towards. And mm-hmm. you can that can become part of your business design principle in terms of um, thinking about the types of work you want to do and how you want to work. So I would say, you know, just find a figure. And then work out based on that how many hours you want to work a, a week and see what that turns into in terms of an hourly rate. And then I think the creative work there is there's understanding how can you tell the story? How can you understand the activities and motivations of your clients in such a way that you can tell the story that by working Actually, I'm going to start again. Well, by, by pitching yourself in a certain way, you know, again, then you talk about this is price sends out a signal. Mm-hmm. And so, if there's a if if that, that that number is quite big, then you have to present yourself in a way, in the sense that that allows that number to to justify the brand. That's what I'm thinking here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Am I going a bit of a tangent, Ben? No, not at all. Not at all. And I, actually, this this talks to the thought that was coming up as I was reading uh, Victoria's question. Uh, and in a way, I kind of apologise in advance, Victoria. There is. I can only complicate this further for you, I'm afraid, um, which is this thing around what what the price by hour might be. You know, there isn't a single price by hour, right? So the thing that was coming up as uh, I was kind of reading that, so um, there was somebody who used to work for me in my um, design business, which I sold a few years ago. He, he kind of now works freelance. Um, and he... Um, I, I I know what he he charges for his his day rate, so he kind of prices everything by a day rate. And um, there's somebody else who we both know, somebody who is a kind of mutual uh, contact of us both. So um, these two people, they have the same amount of experience broadly. They were at the same kind of college and design school at the same time. Um, they've been working for a long time. Like I said they have the same amount of experience, but one person's rate is 10 times, and I do not exaggerate, 10 times the rate of the other. Uh, and so one person was charging £500 a day, the other person was charging 5000 a day. Now, I, I'm not exaggerating, and I kind of offer this up just to sort of make the point, you know, you know, who, who decides actually kind of what is right or what is wrong there? Now, clearly, the person who's charging 5000 a day, there are only certain clients that can afford that but you know pricing does send a signal and actually particularly when we're starting out going back to everything that we were talking about at the beginning 
where you know there is always ambiguity there is always uncertainty when we buy a product or a service and what's happening in the heart and mind of the person on the other side of the table is they want reassurance they want to know that the thing that they're going to buy from you is okay is going to do the thing that they want it to do that they're not going to get fired by it their partner's not going to divorce them whatever it might be depending on the thing that you're providing and in that sense the the, the price that we put on things is a hugely important signal because the sort of culture that we all grow up in, we're looking for these signals and the price, we do equate price with quality, whether that's fair, true or whatever, it is, a, it is an association that we make. And so the thing that I'd say, you know, yes to what Carlos is talking about, there are kind of calculations that you can make which sort of tell you what you need to be earning. And that's kind of useful to keep in mind, of course, because you need to know what you need to be earning. But but don't hold that too too tightly because actually that will be the that can become a limiting idea for you. The kind of converse is to kind of challenge yourself the other way. You know why is it that one person can charge five hundred pounds a day and another person can charge charge five thousand pounds a day? And what does that mean for who I am and what I want to bring to the world? So like I said, it doesn't answer the question for you, but hopefully it kind of opens you opens you up, Victoria, to kind of think a bit more kind of creatively and maybe a bit more kind of ambitiously around what your kind of prices might be. Hmm. What came up last night when we were talking, I think as, as a message that I'd like to communicate to anyone who's starting out and just trying to work out how to do this pricing thing is what I, I find useful. What the rule of thumb is you dictate the floor, your customer dictates the ceiling or the price. Yeah. You're, when I say that, it's like you have a bot, a minimum amount of money that you need to make and whether that's per hour per month per project but there's so the minimum amount of money and so that will dictate the least price that you're going to the less well the lower end of the pricing uh, bracket the higher end that shouldn't be dictated by you at all that should be only defined by your client and talking to what leslie's saying here you know she talks about she she tries to charge for outcomes and not inputs you know the whole value based pricing approach and that's something we'd, we're going to talk about in a couple of episodes and that's where we'd love to get everyone to. But we also know the reality is for some people, that's really hard. Uh, and particularly when you're starting out, it can be a bit of a challenge. And particularly when you're in an industry where the going approach is hourly rates. You know, everyone's sharing hourly rates. People are asking you for hourly rates. It's like, oh, we even had someone last night saying someone was asking them for the hourly rate and they were get, they went back to them and say, well, you know, it depends what it is. And they just got a very arsey reply. So just give me your hourly rate. So there's that reality of, of the people out there who who are just searching for that uh, and then what leslie said later was then she says uh, as well as what you want to earn also think about what the client is comfortable to pay and when you're mm -hmm. thinking about charging and i think this is what makes that make me think about that is like you can have a price like LeBen says that sets a signal and that price is targeted at very specific customers the people that you really want to work with but that does not preclude you from working with people who can't afford that price and that, for me, it's you then have a choice. You choose to work with a charity. You choose to work with a social enterprise. You choose to work with a smaller business. And then you say, I'm investing in you. I'm not giving you a discount. I don't have a different rate for different you know, for different um, organizations, depending on who you are, depending on whether I'm really interested in working with you, depending on if it aligns with what where I'm at with my business. I'm going to charge you something different, but my price is this. And that's a way, whether you say that externally, but I think for me, 
think that internally. I find that a much more useful approach than than trying to think, oh, what rate do I do for this? What rate do I do for that? It becomes much more of a um, a powerful stance, I think, rather than feeling like you're pushed and buffeted by other people's demands. Mm. Cool. Um, do we have any other questions? All right. So Francis has a comment here. Uh, so she says, I'm not confident about what afford really means. Ooh. Mm. Can we make some assumptions about where that question is coming from and, and riff off of that, Ben? Um, <clears throat> what do you have in mind? What, what, what well, really I think afford, I'm wondering what, you know, afford, I, I can interpret it in terms of there's how much I can pay and how much I'm willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's where Francis is coming from. And so you talk to a client, you maybe you talk to a charity, um, and they say, oh, we don't have the budget for that. You know, mm-hmm. we really just, we just don't have the budget for that. Versus, uh, we don't have the budget for that, but actually we do have some money, but we're just not convinced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because of the nature of the, the organization that you're talking to, you've already got this layer of emotion attached to this engagement yeah and then it's how much you might project mm-hmm. this this ceiling of price onto yeah. this interaction maybe that's a way to think about it yeah and and i think maybe that's because yeah what can a client afford um you know is of course sort of state the obvious dependent on a whole load of factors there's you know if you if your clients and customers are spending their own money what they're likely to spend is one thing. If your clients and customers are spending somebody else's money, i.e. they work in a company, again, it's a, it's a kind of different dynamic. If the company is a kind of, you know, sort of big, profitable, sort of blue chip company, clearly the amount of cash that is around is likely to be much higher than if they are a small charity. So all of these things affect an ability to pay. But yeah, making an assumption about what they can afford, of course, is difficult because we tend to load that with our own with our own preconceived ideas and assumptions about what they're likely to be able to pay you know we don't know unless we sort of explore but we do need to keep in mind we are likely to insert into the dialogue our own sort of emotional lens about what is right what is affordable what they could should want might spend these are all things that we if not careful we just sort of load into the dialogue uh, and so the kind of the the art and the requirement, which Francis knows well, is to is to kind of get out of that space a bit and to be in the walking in the shoes of your client and customer to explore it with them to the extent that that's possible, because they are the ones who know what they can afford. And our task when we're providing a service is to understand that and also to help them realize the value of what it is that we're doing. I think another way I'm looking at this now, and I'm maybe a bit related to Wolfgang's thing about how do we define the ceiling of the client. We'll probably talk to that in on the, when we start talking about value-based pricing uh, mm. in a couple of episodes. Week three. Week three. Week three. But related to um, Francis's question, and I think it touches on the ceiling thing, one way I look at it is how much are they willing to commit? Mm. Because... They're committing, you know, Francis says they she has people who really want to do their their program, but they're saying they can't afford it because they're not earning enough yet. So they don't have so there's a story here, not enough money's coming in 
to balance the money going out. You know, that's one way of looking at this. And so, okay, the the bank balance might shrink if I do this program. The irony is that by doing the program, they're going to, Francis and Simon are going to try and make sure that more comes in than goes out in the future. So the it will the story should be it goes down, yes, but then it will go up. And so mm -hmm. the question is, how are you telling the story of this commitment to the increasing bank balance? And how connected are your customers to thinking that story is, is true for them? How much is that? Yeah, yeah, I see that as a possibility. Because even if, you know, it's that whole kind of in an investment mindset. And this is why I think it's so fascinating about the money story stuff. It's like, how, how are they perceiving this flow of money in their lives? Because that's going to affect how they spend. And conversely, how we perceive the flow of money in our lives is going to essentially leak out and be projected onto our customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the kind of word which comes up, which I think you mentioned or I imagined um, with in Francis's case is about believability. The extent to which the clients and customers believe that actually if I invest this, then that uptick is going to happen. And and maybe one actually where we got to at the end of I think the the last episode, you know, the role of the of marketing essentially, which is the journey, the dialogue, the discussion, which leads up to this point of potential transaction. You know, the client will only make a leap when the cost of not doing it exceeds the cost of doing it. So they kind of you know the role of marketing is to is to kind of agitate, and I use that word kind of intentionally, in as friendly and constructive a way as possible, you agitate the client to the point at which they can't afford not to do it. That's the, you know, that's the, the holy grail. That's the goal. And, you know, I, I can say that to Francis and to everybody listening, because I know the kind of intent behind what you offer is good and is sound and is valuable. And so all of those things being true and being equal, now your task is to agitate the client customer to the point where they understand the value of it. They can't afford not to do it. And so the two words that sprang to mind was uh, integrity um, and this idea of belief. And it's basically part of the value. Now, everyone here, I'm assuming, everyone who follows us at the Happy Startup School, you are you're purpose driven. You're working with integrity. You know, you believe that you're gonna, you want to create good for your customers. Part of creating good for your customers, I believe, in this part, of the selling point and the marketing point, is helping them believe, because there's there's only so much you can do with the content, the the strategies, the processes, the the worksheets, without the belief, then all of that is useless. None of this works. Our pricing course will not work. No one will price better if they don't believe they're allowed to price better. So while it feels like sometimes feels like oh, there's a slimy sales tactic trying to change someone's mindset, it all depends on what your you know what your aim is. And I think if you believe if you're doing if you believe in the good that you're creating for someone, then I think it is it is your job to find out ways to cultivate that belief. Otherwise, you're there. You're leaving money on the table. They're leaving money on the table. This kind of impactful work that they could potentially do in the future isn't going to happen. And then no one else. You know, the world is a less happy place. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you. On that note, I'm just conscious of the time, and yes, we we want to keep as much <laughs> as possible. 
to this rhythm, this consistency. Uh, and I'm, I feel like we could have gone on for so much longer. But next time, next time, we'll let you get back to your project. Yes. Project pricing. Thank you. Um, Which links and... to because Wolfgang was asking, what are the alternatives? The alternatives yes. to the hourly is projects, is yep. value pricing. And that's where we get to over the next few weeks. Exactly. And and this interesting thing around project pricing, what I found in the agency was it was basically hourly pricing in disguise. But yeah. we can we can talk about that in more mm -hmm. depth next time. Thank you, everyone. Thank um, you. Have a great rest of the day. And yeah, uh, excited to continue this three part series. <laughs> Sign up. <laughs>